On November 5th, Laurentians will be tasked with deciding the future of Lawrence for the next 10 or so years by voting on the next set of city commissioners. Six Lawrence residents are running. Only three can be elected, with the top two serving four-year terms. Given our own commitment to local events, we here at Lawrence Talks thought we would sit down with these candidates before Election Day. Of the six candidates, four answered our request for sit-down interviews. In these next few episodes, we discuss each candidate's views on justice, their approach to decision-making, and their visions for Lawrence. We hope you enjoy, and as always, you can find us online at lawrencetalks.org, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special edition of Lawrence Talks Podcast. I'm your host, David Tomez, and today I am going one-on-one with City Commission candidate Joey Hensler. Before we begin, I would like to remind uh, those listening that you can find uh, this podcast and other episodes uh, on our website, lawrencetalks.org, as well as Apple uh, Apple iTunes and Spotify. Now, with that out of the way, Joey, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, glad to be here. Excited to have the conversation. So I want to start off um, with this sort of uh, general question about experience and, and your background. Uh, so just going to ask you briefly about um, uh, your history or in your, in your experience. And um, if you could answer that in such a way that you can relate that to um, how you're going to use that experience as a city commissioner in your decision making. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm the son of a construction worker and a national park ranger, and so my parents, um, you know, raised me um, to love the environment and also uh, to understand working class issues. Um, And then I went on um, as early as 11, my mom was bringing me door to door um, to canvas for now Governor Laura Kelly, and my mom is highly engaged as uh, involved in Parks and Rec, so highly engaged in the community. And so we were sitting on our neighbors' porches and our neighbors' living rooms talking about issues that were affecting them day to day. And, you know, I was 11 years old. And watching that happen that early on um, really shaped me. And so since then, I've become an activist. I've been involved locally in the work um, to oppose the jail expansion at the county level here in Douglas County. been involved in core leadership of the Sanctuary Alliance, which is moving sanctuary city policies um, here at the City Hall and beyond. Um, and so, you know, that activism, that connectivity to neighbors, and particularly focusing on um, working class folks, folks at the margins for, you know, structural racism or sexism or ageism, um, that has always been really critical and key to my political consciousness um, from a very early age. I now am director of advocacy at Kansas Appleseed. It's a nonprofit policy advocacy organization with its main office here in town. But at my role, in my role, I support staff across the state. We have offices in Wichita, Pittsburgh, and Dodge City, and we do a host of work around the 2020 census, making sure that uh, monolingual Spanish speakers out southwest Kansas are being counted. Um, in southeast Kansas, making sure economically depressed folks are understanding civic engagement is critical to the vitality of their communities. Um, and then I also am in the state house all the time, um, lobbying for 
increased access to anti-poverty programs like food stamps, um, reforming our foster care systems. Um, and so that commitment to activism in my past and my experience with progressive policymaking um, are the two things that I want to bring to City Hall. Okay, and you, um, one you mentioned in, in that statement and in, in other statements that you uh, define yourself or identify as a progressive candidate. Mm -hmm. um, so two questions, what is justice to you um, and how do you translate this uh, to deciding which city initiatives to pass or to support? Um, right, because in part, as I, as I mentioned before um, in talking with you and in uh, previous podcasts, as, as a f philosopher, I'm, I'm interested uh, in discussing, you know, the sort of principles that people start with um, and, and rely on in, in order making their decision-making. So yeah, I just wanted to explore that uh, that with you. What justice means to to you, and how you plan to translate that to your decision and your your work as a commissioner. Yeah, so I think there's all kinds of forms of justice, right? There's climate justice, making sure we're taking care of our environment and focusing on how climate change will disproportionately impact low-income folks and people of color, indigenous folks. There's um, racial justice, making sure that um, our uh, public safety institutions, our policing procedures and policies are uh, appropriate and truly invested in the safety of all of our residents. Um, you know, there's uh, all sorts of justice, economic justice. And so for me, um, justice uh, is about every individual being able to um, lead a life of dignity uh, that is allows them to thrive and be healthy and joyous. Um, and so, you know, that's incredibly broad, right? Um, but we know that even city-level policies, uh, decisions on where development goes, decisions on where investments are made in which neighborhoods over others, those are all connected to individuals and families' ability to perceive or to pursue that good life. Um, and so that, that's what justice is. It's, 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 a, it's where everyone is able to access and pursue that good life. Um, and, and then how to help, how that perspective will help me decide um, and prioritize on City Hall. You know, politics for me, um, you know, is about power and, and uh, choices and so um, our whole campaign. You mentioned we we are the progressive candidate. Um, I don't think there's any question about it. But um, you know, what would it look like if a community came together and everyday residents exerted power in that building and city hall to achieve an agenda that would allow more of our neighbors to access that good life. And so to understand what that would look like, it means constant um, and quality engagement in the community. Um, and so since moving um, into my role at Kansas Appleseed, it's become so clear, right, that if we're going to reform the foster care system, if we're going to fix um, justice issues here at the city level, you have to bring affected folks with you. You have to actually let them lead. Um, so like in work, um, we have former foster care youth in our coalitions. Um, and the Sanctuary Alliance 
Um, we have individuals connected to the undocumented community in our town, and they set the agenda, they lead, and we support um, the kind of community policies and shaping that we need to have happen here. Um, in our very platform itself, um, though, you can see a policy structure um, that could allow City Hall um, to create a common set of facts among commissioners about what that what policies, what projects, what justice implications those things would have. And so since day one, we've been talking about what is called a racial disparity impact note. And the idea would be that just like a fiscal note, you need to know how much a project or a policy will cost the city. Well, you also need to know what the disparate impacts will be on residents of color if, mm -hmm. for example, we build a hub or if, for example, we move the um, public transit uh, the bus hub from here at the library out west. Like, what will those things do for individuals of color? What will those things do even for our environment, for our housing affordability? Um, these are like policy structures that we can create um, to make sure that we are focusing on data um, to pursue a more just Lawrence. Okay, and typically uh, you, you mentioned data, and that sort of goes into a general question I also had is, um, Everyone, I think, wants to be data-driven um, as in, in politics, right? The dr data, you want data to drive what initiatives you go after. Um, but you also, there's also that ideological component that you need to bridge the gap between what the data says and what specific policies you should pass and what specific policies best, uh, so to define the ends mm -hmm. that you want to achieve. Um, you mentioned this in your answer to about justice, um, and you mentioned and generally uh, you, you talked about progress, uh, being a progressive. How much uh, relation does that have to the more nationally based um, progressive movement? And it is, is, is there, does your uh, particular uh, type of uh, progressivism have any relation or uh, like do you support because um, I think generally um, nationally, national progressives support something like the New Green Deal um, and specific poly, policy standards. If that is the case, how do you translate that to um, the Lawrence community specifically? Yep. Well, first off, to talk about data and being data-driven, um, I will say, um, you know, data is critical. And... Here in town, we are um, fortunate, we are blessed to have uh, a, a lot of data. Our county health department in the 2018 health equity report, um, they, found, they captured a lot of data and synthesized and analyzed it and found that depending on where you live, depending on the color of your skin here in Lawrence, um, you have dramatically different life expectancies. Mm. So if you're a black resident or Latinx resident, your life expectancy, respectively, is five and four years less on average than a white resident. Oh. If you live in North Lawrence or East Lawrence, your life expectancy is, again, on average, eight years less than other uh, parts of our community. And so we have you know, that data um, to drive us, and there's plenty of other um, powerful and important statistics to pull from that work that the county health department did. But we also have KU, 
And so um, researchers at KU, we know what it means for, um, you know, Brownback, the governor of Kansas before um, the current uh, Governor Kelly, like we know what austerity did. Um, we know what conservative ideology in policy did to low-income working-class folks. Um, it got their kids ripped away from them and put in our foster care system. It got them evicted. It got them um, closer to uh, food insecurity. And so, um, you know, we have this amazing uh, number of resources in town. And so we have identified the problem. Other communities um, have identified solutions. Every single bullet on our campaign platform is actually a policy that has been implemented either in another city in Kansas mm. or elsewhere in the United States. And so we know there's a problem, we know there's a solution, and so now what lacks is the political will to live up to our professed progressive values in Lawrence um, and to actually achieve the solution. So that solution could be, for example, um, you know, instead of um, not adequately funding our uh, homeless shelter, which in, a, in effect um, left dozens of our neighbors unsheltered, um, we could pursue a citywide coordinated housing first model, which would be both more fiscally uh, effective and uh, more morally just. And so, you know, like that's just one example, right, of uh, being data-driven and finding the solutions by looking elsewhere. Um, and, and then, so moving to the question about our uh, progressive identity. Um, so, uh, you know, for me, right, like Lawrence is really a special place in Kansas. Um, and it's not for this reason, this idea that um, we are a blue dot and a sea of red. Um, I mean, I'm from Topeka, we always vote blue too. But what sets Lawrence apart is that in our roots, in our history, there is this radical idea that all people are born equal to the point that we were willing um, to have, like to stand up to um, evil codified in federal laws that wanted to make Kansas a slave state as it entered the Union. And, and it got our city burnt to the ground. And so we are a city like risen from ashes um, because we believed um, that all people are born equal. That's in our DNA. And also progressivism too is in the DNA of Kansas. Kansas is um, one of the first states to elect uh, a woman to Senate. It's uh, one of the first states to elect progressive party candidates to US Congress. Um, and you know, like as late as um, the early 1900s, um, there were um, a huge number of socialist newspapers in southeast Kansas. And because railroad tycoons um, were screwing them, letting their pr produce like um, wilter at rail stations, um, those newspapers, those socialist movements were calling on the nationalization of the railroad programs here in Kansas as, you know, like a, a less than a century ago. Um, so, you know, we have real progressive roots here. Uh, we don't really even need to look nationally. Um, but when we do, we do, our campaign finds agreement, right? Um, here in coming days, we will release and propose a Green New Deal uh, for Lawrence. Um, and, and that process has been a long time coming, but it's, it's gonna be, um, you know, it's the direction we need to go. And, and it's not about labels, but about what we need to do for survival in the case of climate change, or what we need to do in the case of fairness and justice in relation to 
um, low-income folks and folks of color. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that is our uh, progressive brand, I suppose. Okay, so it's more something that bears out of the history of Kansas rather than that some, something that bears from the national movement of progressivism. Yeah, I'm kind of weird. I like um, in 2014 when we lost um, to Brownback's re-election, uh, a group of friends and I, we all graduated undergrad, which is how young I am, I'm <laughs> showing that. But um, median age of Lawrence is 26 years old, uh, or 27. But um, so we were all walking down the hill, Campanile, that's the tradition, and um, Home on the Range came on. <laughs> and so we just all started crying, walking down this hill in our regalia, and just, I don't know, I could tell you, like, the state insect, the state rock motto, um, and that's not true for a lot of other states, like this pride that I've found um, in myself and my colleagues um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely connected here to, to Kansas. Yeah. And so one thing I, I'm always curious for any, for any politician is, is, uh, is to ask, especially folks who come in with, uh, specific, um, policy suggestions when they're running. Um, and even as, 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 uh, when they take office is, is this, like if the data, um, says, uh, or actually, how long uh, is are you willing to wait? Um, say that the data, uh, initial years, because some, sometimes policies take a while to take effect, to have the sort of intended effect. Um, what do you have in mind? What how long uh, how long it takes for certain policies to take their true effect or their expected effect? Um, and that's just to ask how long uh, should we wait? So it, it entirely varies on, on the policy. Yeah. Um, you know, from my background, my professional background in state politics and po policy advocacy, you know, we know that it took only three years for our total number of youth in the Department of, Ch Children, in the Department of Correction custody to drop by 87.3% because we had comprehensive reform of our juvenile justice system. We know that administrative policy change that made it more difficult for folks to access food stamps related it, resulted within a year of 20,000 families losing their food assistance. So, you know, like, there's tons of different uh, directions policies go, and time frame is entirely variable. Um, I think one important point um, is that Data um, is numbers and statistics and trends, absolutely. And those, those need to be fundamental and, and can be and should be. Um, but also, data includes lived experiences of our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And those lived experience, those stories, those lives lived um, or lost are um, you know, just as important when talking about policy and certainly prioritizing policy solutions. Um, and so, you know, as the data changes, you know, policy makers should follow, absolutely. Um, and, if, and if that's the question, uh, then the answer is yes, yeah. But do you have, a, a, I guess, the, I know it varies. Um, so you are willing, I guess, to, to change a policy decision 
um, if the data over time suggests that it's not doing having its intended effects, even at the li at the lived experience, that uh, or uh, so. One example where there's a disparity between what the numbers say and then what the lived experiences are, mm -hmm. um, GDP, right? GDP is notorious for not capturing very important things like yeah. what people can actually spend or buy with that increase in money. Um, and so that's actually an example of when the, the data set's too narrow, where, where we're not capturing enough. Right. And, and so... How do you, uh, how can one, or if you, I don't know if you've thought about this, but the curious uh, question I have is um, how do you keep track of when the data might suggest that good things are happening yeah. or that uh, by the numbers, um, but at the lived experience level, there's this disparity? Yeah, I mean, I think an easy, uh, very applicable example will probably be as we as the city has decided to raise utility prices will the number of families and households applying for rental assistance follow um and um you know maybe not right like um whether it's lack of awareness of the utility assistance program whether it is um perhaps illiteracy um, even, like not being able to read and write in English. Um, like all of these things may be um, skewing the data. And so, yeah, you have, to, you, you have to be cognizant of what data you're looking at and what they're saying to you, um, but also like what they really are saying. Like, like you know, our... Like, like with GDP, that's like a really easy um, example, right? You can just grow the pie and grow the pie and grow the pie, um, but if low-income folks and working-class folks continue to struggle, it's about the distribution of that pie. And so you need to look at different data. You need to ask different questions. It's not necessarily the data is wrong. The data will, will always, you know, should be um, verifiable and, and true. Um, it's just you need to look at different data. Um, whether it's right. lived experience or GDP per capita <laughs> instead of GDP. Right. And is that, I guess, uh, that's something you'll find out whether <coughs> the, the uh, commission, because uh, they have folks that collect data, this sort of data. Yep. And um, that's one, I guess, one thing you'll find out. I don't know if, I'm not sure if you can speak to it now, if you have any knowledge of, of the, that work, those inner workings of how they uh, generate the data, how they, what they look for. Um, and whether or not that they those practices might need to be changed or updated. Yeah, I mean the well the city you know city staff um, are highly professional. Um, they have loads of experience um, in Lawrence government than me, um, so I will definitely be relying on their support uh, should I be elected. But um, yeah, you know like with the racial disparity impact note, that will be a new burden, that'll be a new requirement for them to figure out how to analyze the racial impact of projects. And so we, we might need to bring on new expertise. We might need to have, um, have, have some changes happen. Um, but, you know, like recently with the creation of um, the Director of Sustainability and that office, um, that was a, that was a, that's an example uh, within, um, within the last five years, I believe, of the 
uh, of local government um, here in here in here in Lawrence and Douglas County, um, you know, adding to their capacity to make smart policy decisions. Um, and so, if we need to do that again, um, I, I, it's definitely worth it, right? Because if we're trying, for example, to eradicate poverty in our community, but we aren't applying a racial disparity lens, we will never be able to get at the root of many people's issues, many people's barriers to work or barriers to safe and affordable housing. Um, and so, you know, it, it is in that way, smart policy making is always worth it. And, and getting the right data that is verifiable is always worth it. And then fo and following that data is worth it. One of the things that, or the, the main question that we asked uh, at a, one of our uh, most recent events was how um, we should val evaluate politicians, or how do we even go about evaluate, evaluating politicians? And what came out of that discussion was that some, uh, that people tend to focus on different things. Some, some things you, you would find understandable, they focus on the policies of the candidate, they focus on um, the commitments uh, the sort of ideological commitments that the candidate might hold, but they also f focus on other things like uh, the identity of that of that candidate. The the simply focus, or they might focus simply on the affiliation, the party affiliation that the candidate uh, might have um, as a candidate, and then uh, as a as a commissioner. How do you, how would you like to be evaluated? How do you uh, how would you like uh, voters and then um, later just citizens to evaluate your job? Um, so for me, the question is always, when an elected official assumes office, um, are they pursuing the interests of uh, working class folks? Or are they implementing policies um, that advance, <coughs> are they implementing policies that advance justice in our community? <clears throat> and, you know, there's, there's like nuance, right? Like someone could try right. and fail, right. um, or someone could attempt but be misled. Um, and I think those are, um, those are all in the, you know, consideration. Um, but for me, I have noticed um, that in town, um, we seem to have this disconnect when people get elected. Um, you know, uh, campaign social media stops, um, house meetings stop. Um, you know, people, electeds will still show up in the community and be present at gatherings and certainly for photo ops. <laughs> um, but uh, for me, you know, like, um, our, our campaign is bringing new voters into the, into the electorate this uh, cycle, and it's from those activist coalitions that I've been involved in before. And so together, we're dreaming of what it would look like to have a seat on City Commission together. And so really, the evaluation that I'm looking forward to most is from them and from my community. Um, to see that if we are able to leverage this seat um, to move power and to build community even further than we have. And, 
you know, um, part of that dream um, is to have, like, Saturday people's commissions meetings um, outside of City Hall in a more accessible place Mm. um, where we can have um, just really critical conversations, um, more democratic conversations, um, consensus-focused conversations. And so, you know, for me, like, the evaluation process doesn't end whether with whether I win or lose the election it it just begins right and I, and it's not about polling no one is going to have a poll in the field about my approval rating but it'll be about when I go out into my community are they going to say Joey you're you know you're, can I curse on this thing like, yes you can you're fucking up <laughs> or are they going to say thank you um yeah, and, and, and it's very clear, I will say, who evaluates me how. The other day I was handed a beer after a forum, which was wild. <laughs> that has never happened. Uh, and then also the other day, someone who disagrees with our stance on sanctuary city policies um, wanted it to be very clear that he knew where I live. So, well, um, yeah. you know, like, uh, I think that's probably the answer is looking at my folks and how they're evaluating um, me and government and whether I'm moving our agenda together. Okay, great. Well, that uh, more or less exhausts the questions I have for you. Um, is there anything you would like to say it, uh, or let the voters know at this time? Yeah, I, I would just say, like, I, um, in, a, in a way, I've been overwhelmed um, by uh, our community's response to our campaign. Um, there's been just so much energy. We've had um, volunteers as young as 14 years old go and knock. Um, I think Owen has knocked over 100 doors now. Um, and we've had, um, you know, my mom, who is, we'll say, over 40, um, has also <laughs> been out knocking doors with me. And, um, you know, volunteers with limited uh, mobility are entering data. And, and so just this huge um, community response um, has been really powerful, and and I think for me and for my um, my act, my fellow community uh, organizers and activists, it's been a real confirmation to us of this hunger for a local city government to live up to our uh, professed progressive values. And so I want to say thank you um, to everyone so far. This campaign has been wild, um, but also incredibly affirming. Um, and worth every sleepless night. Um, so, yeah, uh, vote by November 5th. JoeyForLawrence.com forward slash vote has all the information you need. Great. Joey, thank you. Um, and Thank you, David. Everyone, November 5th, community and local government is very important, even possibly more important than national elections. Uh, so please get out to vote um, and uh, We'll see what we'll see what happens. Um, thank you. We will.